And the Texans beat the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football 34-17. Deshaun Watson had two touchdowns, completed 19 of 24 passes, and an all-around very steady performance out of a guy that started to look a lot more and more like the Deshaun Watson of last year. That's very encouraging. I think if you have to look at the difference between Deshaun Watson and Marcus Mariota, and even though Marcus Mariota only had one incomplete pass in this game, uh, you did not feel to nearly the same degree that he created the way that Deshaun Watson can create. It also helps that Deshaun Watson has DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Demarius Thomas got into the mix last night in a big way with two touchdowns, and you saw how DeAndre Hopkins helps that out too, drawing so much attention in the red zone as he does. Demarius Thomas had his opportunities. But really it was, uh, as Bill O'Brien would call it, it was complimentary football. I think the defense did exactly what they needed to do, even though the Texans' defense has struggled with letting up big plays, gaffes in coverage, missed responsibilities at times, um, really hurt them more than anything else in this game. One thing that saves them is that they generally tackle pretty well at the second and third levels of the defense, and they hold the Tennessee Titans, which is uh, which is a bad offense, by the way. That's one of the worst offenses in the league, but they held them to 17 points. I think really the story for the Houston Texans is that Deshaun Watson – is starting to look a lot more like the Deshaun Watson who took the league by storm in 2017 before he tore his ACL. And I think I personally was guilty of underestimating how big the physical challenge was going to be for Deshaun coming back from last year. I think he steadily looked more and more athletic. And look, it's not like he looked unathletic early in the year, but he looks more crisp and explosive and much more of a genuine threat with his legs. And I think Bill O'Brien has started to use him as a threat more, too. He had his bruised lung, which made O'Brien pull back big time in terms of how much risk he wanted to expose Deshaun to. So they weren't really running a lot of genuine zone read. Uh, their option game was a lot of smoke and mirrors where I think a lot of the times Deshaun up until these last couple weeks didn't really genuinely have an option on the zone reads. Uh, here I felt like defenses had to honor him and respect him in the run, which opened things up inside. It made it easier for the offensive linemen. It made it easier for Lamar Miller, who has a 97-yard run, uh, which is his second in his career, only the only running back to ever have two 97-yard runs or greater in their career, which is an astounding stat if you consider the history of the NFL and back when they used to be so run heavy. Kudos to Lamar Miller. The offensive line has improved quite a bit. They still have their issues, um, but Bill O'Brien has done a good job of managing that situation, I think, and Deshaun Watson, like I said, improves that as well. The one really astounding stat that I, I heard last night was that DeAndre Hopkins is the only receiver in the last decade to take greater than 99% of the offensive snaps. I can't remember what time span that was over, um, but whatever time span it was, he's the only guy in the last 10 years to pull that off. The really amazing thing is they were talking about that, and it, it struck me, it occurred to me as I was watching DeAndre, I, I can't remember ever seeing him tired on a football field. When you watch him at any given moment, after a big play, after a long run you know he can run a go route they'll they'll show him walking back to the huddle he's never out of breath his conditioning is astoundingly good and I am curious if any of you guys are exercise physiologists uh, or strength trainers or what have you and you have experience in this DeAndre in the offseason runs five miles a day 
which for the most part, most people feel like, hey, explosive anaerobic athletes don't need to be doing endurance training. If anything, it might hamper your explosiveness a little bit. I'm curious about this because DeAndre is obviously one of the very best wide receivers in the league. He's not blazingly fast. He's explosive after he catches the ball, but he's not blazingly fast from top end speed, but he's also um, very good. Like the analytics show how good he is in the fourth quarter compared to a lot of the other top receivers. I wonder, I wonder why more guys don't adopt that strategy and do more endurance training, build up the mitochondria and everything else in your cells. The other guy that I would point to on the other side of the ball, obviously is JJ Watt. Um, JJ Watt and Jadeveon Clowney, both very impactful in this game. And J.J. continuing along at a blistering pace in terms of looking a lot like he did the last time he won a defensive player of the year. He's not going to win it this year. Uh, they're just uh, well, Aaron Donald, for one, is blowing it up and doing a lot of J.J. Watt in his prime type of things. But J.J. is way further along here than I my, myself and I think a lot of other people would have thought possible. And Last year, even before he got injured, he was making plays, but he was making them more with savvy than with extreme athleticism. This year, so far, he's looked really explosive. I I was reading a book the other day, and it was, uh, you know what it was? Oh, what's the name of that book? A Brief History of Humankind, I think. Very good book. Uh, it's a, Look, they call it A Brief History. This thing's a big old thick book, and it kind of covers the major bases in the history of human civilization, evolution, all these things. But they're talking about religions historically. And back before the big three or four took over, there were a lot more local gods. You know, in these smaller societies, there wasn't necessarily a notion that there was one all-powerful god. You had a bunch of you had a bunch of gods, like in Hinduism, um, but you also had your your personal local gods. There's a part of me that wishes we could go back to that, and I would nominate J.J. Watt because we'd still be living in a democracy in this fantasy land of mine. J.J. Uh, Watt would be one of the local gods because he's created, uh, he raised, what, $37-plus million for Hurricane Harvey relief. He's, uh, he's risen from the dead. People had counted him out as dead after these last couple years of injuries, and he's back. He's back in full force. So uh, very, very Christ figure-like there. And he would be a local god. He's not supplanting anybody else. So a lesser god. And uh, if you don't like it, I'll send him to war to you. I do. The other thing that appeals to me about – I'm going to have to look into Hinduism a little bit more. I like this notion of having a huge roster of gods from which to choose, and then you can kind of create your own your own power team of gods, your own all-star team of gods that are on your side, like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. I want this roster full of local gods. J.J. Watt would be high up on it. I got to do the scouting report on all these other Hindu gods and figure out who else. Hold on one second here. I got to take my uh, – I'm, I'm smoking this uh, vape pen with CBD oil in it. I've been messing around with CBD oil for a long time. I used to just take it orally. Now I'm trying the – I'm trying this vape pen. I'm a little bit nervous about it because I don't know how much CBD I'm getting. And for those of you who don't know, and I'm guessing most of you don't, CBD is uh, a part of the marijuana plant that is non-mind-altering. It's cannabidiol, and it has a lot of effects. On, it's, it's got some anti-inflammatory effects, anti-anxiety effects, um, anti-epileptic effects. This is what uh, oh, what was Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web, the original drug that they found 
could help out with epileptic kids that got a lot of press over the last 10 years or so. That's uh, I, I think that's mostly CBD oil. So that's what I'm messing with if you uh, if you hear me take a couple drags of this thing. Not messing with the tobacco kids. Although nicotine nicotine does have a lot of benefits and uh, it's uh, it's just a matter of the delivery system has always been atrocious. The tar, the smoke, all that stuff, not so good for your lungs. But I don't know. I haven't done enough research to figure out whether nicotine is like has other dangers independent of the stuff that normally comes with cigarette smoke or dipping tobacco and all that. So I'm not going to mess with that. And I don't think you should either, kids. These are the other things from last night uh, that stuck out to me. Mike Vrabel learned one thing in his time here in Houston, and that is that sometimes you can be a little too clever for your own good. They're down trying to convert on fourth and one in the extreme red zone, and he decides to line up in an exotic formation with Luke Stocker, the tight end, as his tailback. He gets stuffed uh, with great ferocity by a couple linebackers, and he does not convert. I I feel like if they'd had a ta- uh, if they'd had a tailback back there uh, I know the formation would have been differently the defensive formation would have been a little bit different and they wouldn't have been as light as where they are there's something that rubs me the wrong way when you supposedly have a really good offensive line like all these advanced stat sites keep telling me that the Tennessee Titans have a great offensive line uh, maybe it's random chance every time I turn on the television and I'm watching them or when I watched them last night they're getting their butts whipped a lot. They've had some atrocious games. They had that one game where they gave up 10 sacks earlier in the year. Regardless, I feel like you're telling your offensive line you don't genuinely trust them to get it the the normal, somewhat conventional way. Line up with your normal guys and run a fake play or some sort. I don't like trying to import toughness. I don't like I don't mind fooling a defense, but I don't like saying, hey, we're gonna take the guy that would bull this in. And instead of you, our normal tough guy, one of our running backs, we're going to have uh, Luke Stocker back up tight end do it. That same thing happened in the exact same end zone when Bill O'Brien a few years back tried the Watt fork where Vince Wolfork lined up his fullback, J.J. J.J. Watt lined up his tailback. J.J., we would find out after the season, was already playing with a torn groin at that point. But somehow you decided to do that after Alfred Blue had just had a huge run to get you down to that position. It feels a little bit like a slap in the face of your skill players. But whatever. It didn't work out. And then and then the Texans responded with that 97-yard run by Lamar Miller immediately afterwards. It was a big old swing. I mean, you're looking at least a 10-point swing right there because you took the field goal points off the board. So Vrabel, uh, look, I think he's done a good job in some respects with that team. The biggest question is simply what do you actually have with Marcus Mariota? You, You look at a guy who now has one more touchdown. Actually, I think he might be equal on touchdowns and interceptions at this point in the season and still very, very, very far down on the list of total touchdowns. I don't know what to make of Marcus Mariota at this point. Um, You can keep saying that he doesn't have the supporting cast around him, but I don't know if that's ever an excuse for being as atrocious as he is. And you're getting to that point where you're going to have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do with Marcus Mariota? Are we just going to play him under the fifth year option, let him play it out? Or do we show commitment to him? Um, I, I don't know. The Redskins, the Redskins strung it out with Kirk Cousins for a long, long time. I don't like this thinking that somehow your quarterback needs to have a show of devotion from your football team. I think you 
let that guy play like uh, an actually productive NFL quarterback where he doesn't have a one-to-one touchdown interception ratio for the course of two years. And then we can talk long-term contract. But until now, you've got the fifth-year option. You've got the franchise tag for a couple years after that. I would be in no hurry to do it, and I would kind of be – I'd be sneaking around and sniffing around for other options at quarterback and figuring out what I might be able to do about this. Uh, One other thing that a bunch of people noticed was at the end of the game, Bill O'Brien and Mike Vrabel shared a very hasty handshake. Vrabel kind of, it looked like almost just kind of slapped the hand of Bill O'Brien and then took off. And a lot of people interpreted that as some kind of a snub. I'm not going to do that, and uh, our producer at Sports Radio 610 noticed this, Landry Locker. He'd watched them before the game. He saw Bill O'Brien and Mike Vrabel having a pretty lengthy conversation before the game. I don't think there's bad blood between those guys. I think that Mike Vrabel just had someplace else to be, or he was really PO'd. They showed him talking to Jonathan Joseph afterwards, too, and he looked really cool and friendly with Jonathan Joseph, but it looked like he was explaining that he had to be somewhere else, um, and he was hurrying off to be there. I like Vrabel, Vrabel might be a fiery and testy dude. I don't think he's the kind of guy that would uh, would be like that. He's not like Jim Harbaugh was. Remember, remember when Jim Harbaugh went up and gave that aggressive back slap in the Lions game there? And uh, I just thought uh, I'm not going to make a whole bunch out of it. So there's my uh, big takeaways from that game. Deshaun Watson just flat out looking like the electric guy that he is. I think this vaults the Texans up into the very real conversation of – All right, are they as good as the San Diego Chargers? Is there a chance that if they keep this up, they could genuinely genuinely supplant the Pittsburgh Steelers in some power rankings at some point? They're ahead of them in the seedings right now in the AFC. Um, but I don't think people feel quite that great about it. The Texans' schedule has been a soft one. They've got one of the easier schedules in the league, and they haven't faced a lot of genuinely good quarterbacks right now. Eli Manning tore them apart, like tore them apart at home. And when they beat the Colts earlier in the season, it was with an Andrew Luck who's not nearly the guy he is now, even though Andrew Luck threw for quite a few yards in that game. So these next couple games over Baker Mayfield, who's really starting to take off, and over Andrew Luck, who now looks a whole hell of a lot like the old Andrew Luck, and they've been having their way with a lot of teams. I know they had a close one with Miami, but for the most part, they've had some authoritative wins over – Frankly, lesser opponents. The last game they lost before they started this win streak, let's remember, was the Jets. That's right. It was to the Jets. So uh, I don't know what the Colts are. We're feeling a little bit more confident about what the Texans are, but we got to see them versus good quarterbacks. So that's where we have that. Round the league, some other other uh, interesting things going on. Let's hear from Doug Marone about why he let his offensive coordinator – Nathaniel Hackett uh, go and why he demoted Blake Bortles from starting quarterback. I felt I needed to make a change, you know, to get us an opportunity to win some games. Um, Scott Milanovic will be the play caller. Uh, Scott has called plays before. Obviously, he's been with us for two years as our quarterback coach, and I expect him to prepare his team this week and get ourselves in a position to win games. Oh, that was not compelling audio at all. I apologize to everybody, although 
I do like listening to Doug Marone just because he has a New York accent. Very rare that you hear that thick New York accent in professional football in the NFL. You hear some New Jersey, you hear a bunch of Boston, uh, but New York City itself, not a hotbed for football talent, so you don't get a whole bunch of coaches out of New York City either. Uh, I did want to play that audio just to point out that I think at times we overestimate just how much thought or actual analytics go into deciding to make a change like this. I've talked to coaches about changes they made. and I, I talked to somebody that was on staff the year that Matt Schaub ultimately got benched because he was throwing a pick six, uh, pretty much like every other series. And it it sometimes just comes down to, man, we got to do something. And I don't know if Doug Marone is in danger of being fired this season. Um after going to the AFC Championship last year, you know, Tom Coughlin defended some of the things they did in the offseason and their plan and why they kept Bortles because they had reached where they had uh, reached last year in the postseason, and they tried to build around Bortles and see if they could improve it and go a little bit further. Um, but you now fire Nathaniel Hackett and you bench Blake Bortles at the end of the year. Ross Tucker brought up a good point, which was, hey, how do you know exactly what the problem is if you're tinkering so much? You're changing the quarterback, you're changing the offensive coordinator. I don't know if you need to even look into it that far. I think they are in the mode right now where they're throwing stuff up against the wall and they're going to see exactly what happens. They're throwing a Cody Kessler up against the wall and see if he sticks or if he slides down the wall leaving a trail of stank, which is probably the most likely scenario here, let's be honest. But I do think that Nathaniel Hackett was probably done at the end of the year anyway. You kind of do a guy a solid, in my opinion, if he can get out there and get on the job search trail immediately, the best opportunities are going to be open to him. He can start making calls. And uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if Nathaniel Hackett would prefer it that way. Sometimes it's maybe better to get caught up in the wash and the entire news cycle. If I'm an offensive coordinator and I'm getting fired at the end of the year, it's just a, a subtopic in an actual story versus this being the actual story. But he does get out there. He gets a leg up on it. Much more compelling audio from a team that matters a little bit more than it used to, and it's from Baker Mayfield, the guy who still matters a lot because all of a sudden the Browns, the Browns are being talked about way more than anybody thought they ever would be, even during hard knocks perhaps because now you have, oh, gosh, uh, Bruce Arians says that's the only place he would want to coach. The fact that the Browns themselves have made this surge. Um, the fact that Baker Mayfield has talked just outright and openly smack about Hugh Jackson after he had to sit there and watch Hugh Jackson stand on the sidelines of the Bengals game. Here is Baker Mayfield talking about what that was like. I don't know. It left Cleveland, goes down to Cincinnati. I don't know. That's just somebody that was in our locker room asking for us to play for him and then goes to a different team. We play twice a year. Everybody can have their spin on it, but that's how I feel. I, I, what it comes down to is we still have the same players. Yeah, that's what I said when everything was happening. Uh, we just had to play better. Um, you know what? You, you can put your own spin on it, but uh, we have the same players. Yeah, we have people We have people that we believe in calling the plays now. People that we believe in calling the plays now it doesn't get any shadier than that that's just flat out uh calling Hugh Jackson out and 
Rightfully so. Look, Freddie Kitchens, I know it's only been a couple games, but he's flat out used Baker Mayfield in ways that are better suited to Baker Mayfield, and they've made him more comfortable. I think it's going to fall back to earth a little bit as teams start to get a beat on exactly what they're trying to do. You know, the Eagles last year, excuse me, the Eagles a couple years ago with Carson Wentz as a rookie had great success early on, and then teams started to figure out, okay, what can this rookie do? What can he not do? Um, And he needs a lot of support around him to get those things done. I I will say the thing that's here to stick is the fact that Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson are being used as receivers, as ball carriers. There were certain aspects of that Cleveland offense. It just didn't make any sense. And you'd wonder why, why are they not using these running backs, especially when you have a young quarterback. So those things are there. Baker Mayfield, I'm very bullish on long-term, but he is still a rookie and we'll see what comes of it. As far as Hugh Jackson going to the Bengals, I've got a couple issues, one with him standing on the sideline. It's just a a, a strange atmosphere. And when that defensive back handed the ball to Hugh Jackson after after the interception – I could tell I almost felt bad for Hugh Jackson in that moment because he didn't know whether this was a genuine gesture or a slight, and he knows the cameras are on him and he doesn't exactly know how to handle it. But that's something that Marvin Lewis should have foreseen. That's just one extra distraction because he's your buddy, whatever. The other side that's curious to me is what message are you sending to Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator, when you have a guy that used to be on your staff coming back and, and serving in whatever role he's serving. I, I This isn't uncommon. You bring guys in as advisors and what have you. But again, have it be a less public role. Have, have Hugh Jackson be somewhat in the background. It doesn't need to be a front and center deal where it becomes one more distraction. And look, talk about distraction is overblown, but usually it's when coaches and fans like us um, think that players can't handle distraction. I almost worry about how much complete and total distraction he's created in the locker room. I will give a hats off to him, Marvin Lewis, for uh, it's a ballsy move to hire a guy that you know the owner likes. And uh, according to a report by Jason Lockhanfora, might follow you as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Look, Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals, does some weird stuff, some cheap stuff. Um, he's kind of a cheap kook. I I cannot imagine him doing that to his fan base. Anybody that's stuck by the Bengals through some of them, all this mediocrity and misery, if you're going to, and I should say mediocrity specifically, whatever the Bengals are, that mediocrity plus, where they're good enough to get to the playoffs but not not good enough to go any further, which in a lot of ways ends up being a worse purgatory because you're just always tantalized with that tiny little taste. And then uh, to quote Cameron Diaz from the Annie re- remake, everything you taste after that is not that taste. I feel bad for him constantly dangling that out in front of the Cincinnati Bengal fan base. But to hire Hugh Jackson, that would be just like peeing. You might as well literally pee in the faces of your fans. Mike Brown might as well stand up in section 100, whip it out, and spray it all over everybody. That's what you're doing there, Mike Brown, if you hire Hugh Jackson. Please, I implore you for the good people of Cincinnati. They're already they're already plagued by that ridiculous skyline chili, uh, that disgusting concoction of noodles and beef sauce. Don't do this to them. Don't do Hugh Jackson the skyline chili of coaches to the city of Cincinnati. Oh, and speaking of whipping it out, uh, this story about Corderell Patterson where he grabbed Henry Anderson's crotch during the game on Sunday because Henry Anderson was laying on top of him. Uh, I can't remember what the quote was, something along the lines of, 
uh, not going to have some other guy's junk in his face. It wasn't in his face, but I get it. Uh, I, I will tell you the story about the time I did this where I inadvertently grabbed junk in a pile, and it was because there was a loose ball. I was going after the loose ball. I'm not going to tell you which player this was. Uh, I'll just tell you that as I was grasping around uh, for, for anything blindly, I grabbed a body part that I could only think was was some kind of flaccid forearm, and it turns out it wasn't a forearm at all. It was just something that was much, much, much bigger than the now uh, one of now two members that I had grabbed in my entire life. And I immediately, immediately, I couldn't get away from that thing fast enough. I felt great shame. I felt great inadequacy. And um, I'm not going to tell you who that player was because he's still on television. I don't want my wife thinking about it every time she sees it on the television. All right, let's take some questions. These are still the questions I had from a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to work my way through. I respect all of you, and I don't want to ignore any of these. If I uh, haven't gotten to yours yet, and I don't in the next week or so, just bump me back up and say, Seth, what the hell? Hippolito Ariaga asks, have you eaten at the new cafeteria in NRG? You know what, Hippolito? They brought in uh, Luke Richardson, the new director of human performance and sports science and probably like genetics and uh, human engineering and any other scientific name you want to attach to it. And he revamped all the menu and everything. I don't... I don't know if they actually made structural changes to the cafeteria other than the way it's laid out. I'll tell you this. Uh, I feel a little bit frosty between me and the Texans right now. I think uh, over the last couple of years, I've been critical about a few things that maybe some people got sensitive about. And uh, I don't I don't spend a whole lot of time over there other than in my official capacity. And I'm definitely not like... Uh, kicking back and breaking bread with people. So I have not been over there. I would love to talk to Luke Richardson. I'm really intrigued by him because, uh, look, he's he comes in with a, I don't want to say a new age philosophy, maybe some more advanced techniques and theories about how to train and definitely not the old school throw a bunch of weight round, around mentality. <clears throat> um, they, they work a lot at getting the kinetic chain right, you know, being sure all the muscles in your core are balanced and firing properly. And uh, so far, so far it's been bad for the wide receivers. I'm not blaming Luke Richardson for it, uh, but in terms of uh, hamstring injuries, it's been a pretty bad stretch here. I'm not blaming Luke Richardson for that. That just happens. I would hope that eventually it pays off and that these things aren't an issue. Let's see. Okay, here's one from uh, Why Not Crispy. As you move further and further away from your physical peak, uh, thanks for noticing, uh, how have you mentally adjusted to not being able to ever play football again? Uh, it's been a slow and gradual adjustment. I kind of I got an accelerated version of that because I toyed with the idea of coming back for an 11th year and actually trained for it and got my body back and, and realized over the course of doing that that I probably wasn't going to get any calls if I put myself out there. I could just see objectively just by numbers, you know, uh, working out at Athletes Performance in Pensacola, Florida, that I just wasn't anywhere near where I was when I left. I'd had a bunch of surgeries. So I, I kind of had to come to terms with it and come to grips with it as I was trying to mount that effort for um, an 11th season. And the, the other big thing that happened was the first time I actually went and stood down on the sideline of a game uh, after I retired, the violence of it um, kind of shocked me. And, and frankly, it surprised me. I hadn't remembered 
um, or appreciated just how violent the game was. And at the, ta- at the time, I hadn't gotten a lot of my physical issues and ailments completely fixed yet. So I was in pain just standing there and watching these guys bash heads. And you remember, this is before, uh, this is before they legislated bashing heads out of the game. There was just – it was too much noise. The actual sound of guys hitting pads, they, it kind of scared it out of me. It, oh, and then the third thing would be just when I go to training camp in the summer um, – that heat, I'm done with it. But like, if I could go play in Saskatchewan or something, if I were going to go play semi-pro ball somewhere where the light is diffuse and the heat is not so crazy, maybe uh, I'd be all right with it there. But the heat drains it out of me every summer. I have no, I have almost no nostalgic want or need to get out of there after I've been standing on the sideline for 20 minutes and I'm completely drenched in sweat. And we'll call it a day on that. This was a short one. Uh, the corporate overlords want these to be 45 minutes, but I say screw them. I'm going for frequency, not quantity, right this moment. We will have Sean Pendergast on Thursday, Michael Lombardi on Thursday as well. So maybe we'll do Sean Pendergast on Friday. And uh, still working on getting a guest for tomorrow. Thank you for listening, everybody. The Texans fans amongst you, congratulations on the win. Jacksonville fans amongst you, uh, congratulations on a turn in fortunes, potentially, with, with some rejiggering of the coaching staff. I'm not fooling you with that pep talk. Browns fans amongst you, God bless you. You are the salt of the earth. Long have you suffered. You've endured the trials of Job. It's going to be better. It gets better. It gets better. Goodbye.